0: Hey, hey. <laughs> Check checked my back up yesterday, um, back pain suffers, is it okay with you if I sit today? I could show you the video from last night because it went better, but I'm just not going to let Satan win, so I'll probably say something stupid. Cause I didn't sleep well, and I'm on some drugs. But welcome. <laughs> and if anybody has any more Vicodin out there, just put it in the offering plate when it goes by, <laughs> and everybody be good. Let me let me um, let me update you on uh, what's going on. I just don't want Satan. I, you could watch a video; it'd be good, but I don't want Satan to have that. So. Forget it. Here we go. Here's the update, okay? Mike Singletary, a couple of weeks ago, pretty awesome. Just an incredible time, right? I mean, incredible as we got to sing Bear Down, Chicago Bears with uh, Mike up on stage. And Father's Day was incredible. He was so comfortable here that he told a story involving uh, Walter Payton and Icy Hot that he had never, ever even shared with his family um, that was awesome. That was incredible. Um, great services here last weekend and Saturday night service. All of our emergency phones were going off. Like I didn't even know I had an emergency signal on my cell phone until this flash flood warning came in a week ago Saturday. And all of a sudden, you know, it was like, it was like stereo around the whole crowd on Saturday night. Uh-oh, we're about to get a flood. So we got, we got through that. We got through Sunday morning. We got through the flood. You know, Noah showed up, tried to get us on the ark. Everything was good. We, we didn't go. We, we had 9 o'clock service, 11 o'clock service. I'm walking around Costco on Sunday afternoon, and uh, I get a call from Bill saying, hey, um, we, got a, we had a fire, and uh, the electrical panel is fried, and we have no power to the main building at all. As a matter of fact, here's a picture of what it looked like, okay? Okay. Um, Probably pretty obvious to you that the electrical panel ought to not look like that. So we had no power to our main building. We knew we weren't gonna get it back on for the Sunday night service, so what do we do? Do we cancel it? No, if your back's out, do you cancel it? No, you just go, okay? That's what you do. The kids' building still worked. It's the second longest day of the year. Plenty of light outside. And so we just thought, you know what? Let's have an outdoor service. So we put the word out on Facebook. People brought chairs. We had our own chairs. We ended up with this scene outside with uh, 700 adults outside in this killer service. Just uh, it was just a move of God, and not only that, but our fallen heroes, uh, his his family was there. Aaron Toppen's family was there, so we got to pray for him, for them at the end of that service. Put our arms out. We got to pray with them together to kind of to kind of do that. And then we, and then you know that wasn't enough. I, after during communion, I, either God or Satan prompted me and said, "Hey, if you guys are going to do this outdoor service, hopefully it was God." If you're gonna do this outdoor service, you need to go all the way and see if anybody wants to get baptized in the pond. You can decide if it was God or Satan. Eight people got baptized in the pond, ladies and gentlemen. It was so awesome. And here's the, it was just this old time religion, man. It was crazy. And here's the cool thing, okay. As we were, as we got done with the eight, you know, eight, eight people getting baptized, we're fishing around for this lady's flip-flop that's stuck down in the mud. <laughs> you know, it's kind of hanging out. And all of a sudden, water starts running in to, you know, through the, through the pipe, starts running into the pond. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. And somebody goes, that means the power's on. And sure enough... At that moment, as soon as we got done with that last baptism, the power came back on into the building, which was really important because of the 4,000 people that were going to come through the building on Monday uh, to, uh, to recognize the wake and, and, the, and the services of Aaron Top. And, and, um, and that's what happened. So it was incredible. News crews started showing up Monday afternoon. The governor came by, um, was quoting the book of Isaiah to me, really crazy. I mean, just a really surreal experience. And then the, the funeral on Tuesday. General came to speak. It's online, by the way. And we went ahead and put the service online so that you could see it if you want to watch what happened and the tribute from friends and everything else. And then the uh, unbelievable processional down Wolf Road, down to St. John's Cemetery, um, you know, horse-drawn carriage, 21-gun salute, bugler, the uh, folded flag presentation. I mean, the, the military presence here was unbelievable. Through it all, interestingly, Doreen told me, we gave out a ton of visitor packs, You know, people are just, I mean, at one time the line was two and a half hours long. People are just curious, you know, what kind of a place is this? Who, who is this place? Even the media, some of the media, and maybe you're here, some of the media were like, you know what, I'd like to check this place out. They were curious, and, and I just can't help but think that Aaron's sacrifice to his country could actually have eternal, you know, implications with people at some point along the way. And I, I, know, that it, I know that it will. I know that it will with his friends. Um, if you saw me on the media, um, it was bizarre to me because almost every station played something that I figured they would probably cut, you know, because I said something religious, you know, instead of just something about the family. But even the little snippets that they did, a lot of them that were that way. It was really, really incredible. Um, so we got through all of that. Got through that Tuesday. On <laughs> Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday I had lunch with this guy, this businessman who is the one who got us into Malawi and Rwanda. He knows the presidents of those countries, and we were talking about what we're, what we're going to do going forward, and it's just blown into this whole big new thing where now we may be working with Former Prime Minister Tony Blair and Wolverine Hugh Jackman and all kinds of crazy stuff is going on, and people that want to end orphanages worldwide. And so you know how it goes. Whenever I have, you have one of those, you just have one of those weeks where God is just like, okay, let's blow this up, let's blow this up, let's blow this up, let's blow this up. That that's kind of what's happened around here, and here we are this weekend. <laughs> I throw my back out, you know? I mean, what is, what is that? I mean, it's my thorn in the flesh, right? So so. Right now, I really need to go spend some time in Colorado. That's all I can tell you. But, um, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Just, just kidding. Um, what I need your prayers for is. Uh, you know, in eight days, me and 8,000 of my closest friends are gathering for a convention in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, that I'm leading, church leaders from all around the country and all around the world who will be there uh, to learn how to get their church on mission, how to remission their church. So praying for that, uh, I really want I want you to be praying about that. And though so because of that, next weekend, uh, I, I asked Dave Stone to come in and preach. If you've heard Dave before, you know you want to be here. It's Fourth of July weekend, but you should be here because Dave is Awesome. He's funny. Preaches to 22,000 people a weekend down at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. Uh, one of my good friends. We've been friends for, for literally forever. Our parents were friends before we were born. And uh, he's he's volunteered to come in so that I could take the weekend off, try to get you know my head together as I head into this thing. And then uh, ironically, he's president of this convention two years later. So you know I'll pay him back. But um, I, I want to encourage you to be here. He'll be kicking off that 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 whole thing. All right. One other thing before I jump into Moses. Aaron Toppin was 19. Um, We lost another 19 year old in our community last week as well uh, in Frankfurt in a freak accident. And um, it's, it's made me think about some things, okay? It's made me think about some things like, um, you know, what, what are we going to do with our kids? And you've got a bulletin insert in your, uh, in, your, in your bulletin there about VBS, about the things that are getting ready to go on. And I just want to encourage you that, you know what, football camp is probably not going to have eternal consequences, you know? And soccer camp and dance camp. I mean, they may dance in heaven, but they don't need to take lessons while they're here on earth. And you might not get your kids for more than 19 years. There's no guarantee. We don't know this. So what we do in their lives now is what's really, really important. So take out those cards and look at what's getting ready to happen. The Orland campus, uh, we're going to do it on the weekends starting July 26th and 27th. And you can start registering for that. At Lockport, i going to be doing that on Sunday night. And uh, then the junior high thing is going to be going on August 5th and 6th. You know, it, it, was, it, it was really cool to see a 100 of our high schoolers go off to CIY and, and realize that that's, they're, they're, you know, two or three years younger than Aaron, who gave his life for our country. They're going to grow up fast. And we need to make sure that we get God in their life. That's what we've got to do to help them. So I want to encourage you to do that. Two things I wanted you to know. So let's talk about Moses. One more time. Burglar breaks into a house. Um, Going to steal all the valuables. Pretty soon, he hears a, a, a voice in the background says, "Jesus is watching you." I'm like, wow, what kind of a crazy religious house is this? So he goes about his business. He keeps doing it again. It, pretty soon, he hears it again: "Jesus is watching you." And he's, you know, really curious about what this is. So he finally looks over in the corner and he recognizes the silhouette of what he thinks is a birdcage. Sure enough, it is. He goes over and he pulls the, you know, the hood off of this birdcage and there's a parrot in there. And the burger's like, wow, this is crazy. Okay, what's your name, parrot? And the parrot said, Moses. The said, what kind of, what kind of people name their parrot Moses. Parrot said, same kind of people that name their Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> Sick them, Jesus. <laughs> that has absolutely nothing to do with Moses, <laughs> except for his name. But people have told me that joke so many times in the last three weeks, I had to use it, okay? J. Robert Clinton wrote a book about the making of a leader. He said, how it works is this. God works in me. I get the I am figured out, figure out I am not. God works in me, then God can work out of me, okay? And all you can remember about last week's sermon is that I'm a terrible human being who jumped out of the golf cart of a paraplegic. I understand that, okay? I get it. Um, but, but the scripture here is, by faith, Moses left Egypt. He left Egypt Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who was inevitable. He knew who was driving. We talked about this last week. The key to faith is knowing the person that you have the faith in, all right? So then we get to this week, God works beyond me. God works out of me, but maybe God can work beyond me. Now the problem is, the problem is that when God works in us and out of us, a lot of times it turns us into a jerk. I mean, when God works out of us and things happen in our life, you, you know that as well as I do that sometimes God uses people and they just turn into a jerk because they're full of themselves and God never gets a chance to work beyond them. So how can we get to the point where we can be in a situation where we allow God not only to work out of us, but we allow God to work beyond us? It's a great question for me. I'm 52 years old. I've got to figure out what it is I'm going to be doing, you know, how I'm going to influence the world from this point on. Now, I'm not always going to be able to, you know, to, to be doing this. What, what else is going to happen after I'm gone? And this is something we talk about, talk about with our staff a lot. It's that end game thing, okay? The end game is a chess is a it's a chess It's a strategy where you decide when you you make these moves based on not what these moves are here but what you're going to be ending up at the end game with. You want to end up in a place so that you can win at the end of the game. Maybe that means sacrificing something here. Maybe that means doing something different here so that the end game can be the right place. And that's what I want to talk about. Here's what the Bible says. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. All right? There's the beyond. Joshua takes the people beyond. Listen to what else it says. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all of his officials in the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Incredible, right? Greatest leader ever. But, but, but the important part of that is that he gave it to Joshua, and Joshua goes on. So how does that happen? I've been asking myself, how, how, what, what is it in your life that, makes, that takes you to, to something where it will be able to actually live beyond you? Where is it that it will actually be able to use, God will be able to use you beyond? Here's the key. Moses said, it says Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. There it is. Humility. If you want God to work beyond you, it's humility. You're going to have to be a person who is humble. Let me read it again. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. Of course, this was before my time, so I don't know that that could be said today, but understand what I'm saying, okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? Clothe yourselves, the Bible says in Peter, with all of you with humility towards one another. Because why? Because God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. If you want to be the kind of a person that God is going to be able to use beyond, it's uh, going to be about humility. Now the problem is, not all of us have natural humility sometimes we have to learn humility. And guess what? That's what Moses was all about, too. Isn't that interesting? Moses wasn't a humble person. I mean, think about this. First 40 years of his life, he's growing up as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Historians tell us that he was a beautiful man. He would have been, uh, you know, the sexiest man of one of those years. Everybody wanted to get a look at him. Everybody loved looking at him. Intellectually, he was uh, superior because he had, I mean, think about this. These are the Egyptians. These are the people who built pyramids that to this day, we still don't know how they did it. They were very advanced in their civilization. Maybe aliens helped them. We don't know what happened with the Egyptians, right? But they were really, really smart, and he had all of the best of that. Not only that, but he was a great leader. The Bible tells us, and, and historians tell us, that he was a great leader of Israel. In Acts 7, it says he was a man of power in word and deed. So this is a guy who's got everything going on. And don't think that Moses was always humble. See, the deal is this. There are two ways that you can be humble. You can do it yourself, or God can do it. Okay? Am I right? A lot of you are shaking your head saying, "Uh, yeah, wish I would have figured that out a long time ago, right? Before anything significant could happen in in Moses' life, he had to get to the point where he had humility. And, And the problem is a lot of people, when they have skills, they have pride that goes along with it. Am I right? Little boy came home from school 15 minutes late one day, and his mom's like, Why are you so late today? He said, Oh, well, Johnny was the school crossing guard today, and there weren't any cars. He made us wait 15 minutes till there was a car so he could stop them. (laughs) You know? Right? That's how it works. I mean, I, I got the power. We're going to wait here until somebody comes. I, it, this had to have been hard for Moses. He had everything going on. When I think of Moses at age 40, and pardon me that I only know the old Disney movies, I think of Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, Right? As a specimen, yes, I'm intimidating. My, what a guy. That, that's, who I, that's who I think of, Moses. It's this guy who had everything going on for him. He's beautifully strong. All the girls are like, oh, I love you, Moses. That's who he was. Humble, not so much. Why do we know this? Well, Stephen gives us a great synopsis in the New Testament of what happens when Moses is 40 years old. It's really, really interesting. His heart is right. I said this last week, but but he didn't do it right, okay? When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites, and he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. I love that. Moses thought, but they did not. Say that with me. Moses thought, but they did not. Why? Why, why didn't they follow him? Why wasn't this the right timing? Because this isn't about God's plan. God's plan wasn't about killing an Egyptian guard. This was about Moses. This is about Moses saying, Here I am to save the day, and I'm going to kill this Egyptian, and I'm going I'm to lead you people, and we're going to get out of here, Right? And and God said, no, they're not following you because you don't have humility yet. His heart was right. He just didn't have God's timing. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever had that problem. How many of you guys like to get advice on driving? Okay. If you put your hand up, I'm going to smack you. Okay. (laughs) Guys. How many of you guys? No guys, right? Okay, but what's ironic about that is if you understand race car driving, there is always, ever since there have been two-way communication, there's always been a spotter somewhere up in the stands that's had communication with the driver. And even though guys never like to get advice on driving, there is not a driver that would ever turn off his headset and say, I don't care what you're telling me, I'm going to go my own way. This is what Moses was doing. He turned off the spotter. And that's not humility. Humility is about listening to the spotter, knowing that the spotter knows, has a better perspective than you do, and waiting on the timing of the spotter. That's what's really, really important. So so, so Moses doesn't listen to the spotter, and he crashes, and he kills the taskmaster, and he has to run. Even as the son of Pharaoh, he had to answer to the law. He fought the law, and the law won. That's the way it always works. So then what happens? This is so awesome. This is where Moses learns humility because he has to go to the desert. What does he become in the desert? A shepherd, okay. I don't know how much you city folk understand about you know shepherds and stuff, but listen, there's one thing I could tell you. Sheep do not care how important you are. They are not impressed by your degrees. They don't care what you look like. They have zero comprehension of your leadership qualities. They just want you to give them something to eat. That's it. Now Moses is this. Tina, you fat lard, come get some dinner. (laughs) Tina, eat. Eat the food. Eat the food. Someday when I'm dead and gone, at my eulogy, before Freebird, somebody's got to say, at least he worked Napoleon Dynamite into a sermon one time. (laughs) One way or another. I, I just That's what I'm thinking of. Because all of a sudden you go from Moses, you're this big, you're this big important guy, and now you're sly. I know that was a llama, but it's the same family, okay? You're slopping food to some animal that doesn't even care about you at all. This is what happens to Moses. Again, Dwight L. Moody said, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody. He spent the next 40 years of his life thinking he's a nobody. And then he finally gets to the last 40 years of his life and understands what God can do with a nobody. Humility comes from the desert. Let's keep the analogies going for a little while. You ever notice, I mean I know it's all about soccer right now but I don't even understand soccer so let's stick with baseball and football. You ever notice the difference between, between football and baseball, when you get a star, like when it's draft time you know, and it's time to draft your star player, in the NFL what do they do? They, they draft a star player and they take him to camp and they put him on the field, like as soon as possible. But in, in, the, in baseball, in the Major League Baseball program, what do they do? They go pay a bunch of money for the stars of the college, you know, in the high school seasons. They go pay a bunch of money, and then they take that young man, and they throw him down to Birmingham or or Omaha, right, into a triple A or a double A, probably a double A, maybe even a single A club, and they make him play baseball there for a while, maybe for like a long while, maybe until, maybe for years is a guy, even a star, maybe for years is he in the minor league club before he's able to be up into the majors, okay? That's what God does with us. He's not going to wake you up one day and say, here you go, lead my people. It's the same thing that happened to Joseph. I mean, you think about all of these great leaders of the, of the Old Testament. There has to be some desert time in their life. There has to be some double A ball in their life before this is ever going to happen. He thought, Moses thought, but the people did not. Moses thought the people were going to be ready for him, but the people said, no, nah, you're not ready. So you had to spend some time in the desert. When we get to the story of the burning bush, which is 40 years later, Moses is not the same man. He's almost painstakingly humble at this point, right? He meets God at the burning bush, and God says, hey, why don't you go lead my people now? You're ready. You're humble. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He had all that confidence going on, all that cockiness 40 years ago. Now he's been with Napoleon Dynamite for 40 years, and he's like, well, I don't think I've got anything to offer anybody. As a matter of fact, I've got a stuttering problem. I don't think I can do this. I, some of you have been in on this journey of church with me along the way, and I don't think, I don't think there was that much pride in my life when I was a young pastor, but I've got to tell you, there must have been. Because um, God sure needed to beat the snot out of me for a while in those early years. The decade of the 90s was, you know, it, it was just a, it was, just a it, was, it was great the bulls were there. That's all I had to hang on to. It was rough. It was rough ministry. I, and you may say, well, didn't you feel a call to ministry? I felt a call to ministry. I, you know, my dad was a preacher and my, you know, I told my mom one time, I said, I think I want to be a preacher. And she said, how come? And I said, well, I got to go to church anyway. And... <laughs> I'd rather stand up and yell than sit down and listen. So I think I'm going to go ahead and be a preacher. And, and she said, I don't know if that's the right idea or not. But along the way, God got a hold of me. And, uh, and if you know the story, when we came here in October of 1989 to this church, Denise and I, we went back to the hotel, which awkwardly, I just have to tell you this, what are those, those hot tub suites up in Orland now? The Essence suites, is that what they're called? That was the hotel the church put us up in. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, they weren't hot tub suites back then, you know, it wasn't like one of those kind of places. It's just weird when I drive by there because the memories are way different for me. Um, Anyway, we went back to that motel, whatever it was called back in the day, and, uh, and we wept because we felt like God was calling us here, and we wept because we felt like God was calling us here, and we didn't want to come. And uh, that proved to be good intuition, ladies and gentlemen. It was a time, um, you know, I, I had some gifts and some skills, but I needed some desert experience. So God sent, the, you know, some dear saints who had the miraculous gifts of pastor humbling into my life for year after year after year after year until finally I think God got to the point where I said, who am I to lead these people? And then he said, okay, now you're ready. Let's go do this. And and our hair has been on fire ever since, okay? Here's the thing about humility in the desert. You can choose to go there or you can let God take you there. It's up to you. Moses' bad decision took him to the desert. The children of Israel's unfaithfulness took them to the desert as well, okay? Think about this. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth because he spent two-thirds of his life in the desert. And that's how God can use you and use you beyond. The Bible says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way to the desert those 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know that what was on your heart, whether you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you manna to teach you every, that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what God did to the Israelites. That wasn't his fault this time, but, but, but one way or the other, he was in the desert a lot. Henry Nouwen says solitude, a.k.a. the desert. It's the furnace of transformation. That's what it is, okay? You can decide to go there or God will take you there. It's up to you. The second thing I see is that humility comes from being in situations that only God can get you out of. If you never go there, you'll never know, okay? Moses didn't want to go to Pharaoh because he knows that Pharaoh is Pharaoh. Pharaoh thinks he's a god. John Ortberg said, you know, going to Pharaoh is crazy. Pharaoh, you know, that's not going to be easy. He said, Pharaoh's not an empowering people builder kind of a guy. You know, if, you're, if you understand leadership's business talk, Pharaoh was not one of those guys who was into the inverted pyramid structure where the leader's on the bottom and everybody's up above and he's serving them. Ortberg said, Pharaoh was into the regular the regular pyramid structure, because he made the regular pyramids in the first place. Okay, He's on top and everybody else is under him and that's the way that it works. So so he goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, no, 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 and he goes through all the plagues, and then there's this moment where the Red Sea thing has to happen. They finally leave Egypt after the the plague of the firstborn, and they leave Egypt, and they get to the Sinai Peninsula, and they could could have gotten to the promised land in a matter of weeks, but God takes them in a different way. Let let me put this in our terms today, okay? South south suburbs, Orland Park, Lockport, whatever, if that is Egypt, and we're leaving to go to the promised land, I'm going to make you Dutch people really happy, let's call Holland, Michigan. Okay. You ain't Dutch. You ain't much. Okay. I'm not Dutch. I I care less. But that's about the right thing. Okay. That's about the right area is about Holland, Michigan. Why? Well, number one, that's about how far away the promised land was. And number two, there was water in the way. Okay. But if you're going to go to Holland, Michigan, there's a pretty obvious route right? You're going to go along I-80 and then you're going to cut up and you're going to go. I mean, it's really pretty, pretty simple, but that's not the way that God takes them. Interestingly, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near for God thought if the people face war, they may change their minds and, and return to Egypt. So God led the people, I love this, NRSV, by the roundabout way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Has God ever led you in a roundabout way in your life? This sure has me. Roundabout way of the wilderness. Maybe you're there right now. God guided them there, you know? And I don't know if they really knew where they were going. I don't know if they knew they were lost. I imagine John Candy and, you know, Steve Martin and planes, trains, and automobiles, everybody yelling at them, you're going the wrong way. And they're going... How do they know where we're going, right? That, that's what I imagine in my mind. But you can see from this map here that where God leads them is into a very improbable place because there's obviously water, a big body of water that's in the way, and they're starting to get close, and the women are like, could we stop and ask for directions? This does not seem right to us, okay? Okay. God was leading them to the last place they would want to go. If I could stick to our let's get to Holland, Michigan illustration, God took them to Navy Pier, okay? Now they're out at Navy Pier, and they're going to get to Highland, Michigan, and there's nothing but water in the way, and the Egyptian army is on its way to come and get them. The roundabout way of God took them in a, to a place where there was the sea on one side and, and, and the mightiest army of God uh, that, that, that people had ever known on the other side chasing them down. Here's a picture of what it actually looks like right there. Okay, I mean, it, it, it seems like... The other way would have made more sense. And maybe that's where you're at today too. Maybe God's trying to help you to be the person that he wants you to be. He's taking you the roundabout way of the wilderness. Here's, here's what I know. If it hadn't gone this way, then the miracle could have never happened. Here's the Bible series. Lord, I cannot believe this is the end you planned for us. We have watched you bring terror on our enemies. You kept death from our door. See, the thing about that is um, later on in life, the children of Israel could never say, wasn't it a lucky coincidence that the sea parted for us right at that (laughs) right moment? You know, I I mean, sometimes we're just not that great at seeing the hand of God. And sometimes he leads us into situations where we can't help but know that only him and his power are going to get us out. I, there are liberals, um, you know, who, who want to say that, that children of Israel crossed the Red Sea in a shallow place, you know, and it really wasn't that big a deal. I heard about this liberal preacher who went to this missionary Baptist church to preach one time, and you know the missionary Baptists like to talk back, you know, love that. And, and this liberal preacher was preaching along. He said, I want to talk about Moses in the Red Sea. And the, and the old guy in the back said, Hallelujah, God Part of the Red Sea. And the minister said, well, well I, I just want you to understand that most scholars believe that they, they, they probably crossed the Red Sea in, a, in, a, in an area that was probably only about six inches deep. And it might not have been a miracle of God, just so much that, you know, that maybe it was just a miracle that they all decided to go do it together. Everybody got quiet wanted to hear what the old guy in the back was going to say. The old guy said, hallelujah, God drowned the Egyptian army in six inches of water. <laughs> Right? Think it through, okay? It's a miracle one way or the other. I don't care how you explain it. It doesn't matter. Moses answered the people do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need to only be still. Moses thought, I'll take it into my own hands but they did not. Now we get up to this point, and Moses says, don't worry about it. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. Let's just be still. Those are the moments that God can go beyond you. And the last thing is humility comes from being willing to share the glory. There are several times when Moses splits up the 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 leadership among the people. I mean, they they estimate that there could have been two million people walking through the desert together. It's pretty hard to have one guy administrating everything. And so you get to Numbers 11, and it says, God, he's, he's, he's fried. He says, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. The Lord said to Moses, Well, then bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to be leaders and officials among the people and have them come to the tent of the meeting so that they may stand there with you. And I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and I will put the spirit on them. And they will help you to carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Really important that you understand, I don't think that God has a limited amount of spirit. It's not like, oh, well, I've only got this much, so I'm going to have to take some of yours and spread it around here. That's not the way his spirit works. He's telling Moses, if you want this to work, your humility is going to come from being able to say to the people around you, you've got this. You have the spirit. It was the same spirit that I've got, and you can do this. It's about the team. It's not about the leader. This means that if you're going to want to be a person that God works beyond, you're going to have to be somebody who gives up the spirit. This is why it's really important for me to not preach every weekend. I I want you to understand that. I like doing that. I really do. It's my favorite thing. But, but, but I got to not do it. People are like, how could you let a, a 24-year-old guy preach to 7,000 people? Don't you think? I said, you know, a little bit above his, uh, his ability. Well, A, you heard him and he rocked. And B, no, of course it's not. Because the next generation needs to have these opportunities. And, and I need to give my spirit to those people so that they can pass on to the next generation. Otherwise, it all ends with me. That, that's why we do what we do. I want you to understand that. Deuteronomy 34. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded to Moses. That's when God can work beyond us. Such an easy illustration for me this week. Aaron Toppin, age 19. I mean, all of the... All of the stuff that went on, all, all of the people who appreciated his life. God is working beyond his life, even though he was only 19. The general who spoke in the service quoted Jackie Robinson. I went back and got a picture of Jackie's tombstone, because this quote is on it. A life is not important except in the impact it has on others. Aaron's life is having an impact on others, even though he was only 19. And your life can have an impact on others no matter how old you are if you will humble yourself and allow God to use you. If you don't know what happened to Moses, he didn't get to go into Holland, Michigan. He didn't get to go to the promised land. It's a long story. What's really important is not that he didn't get to go into the promised land. What's really important is that he went into the real promised land. I always love this scripture of the transfiguration when there's this weird moment where Jesus and Peter and James and John are up on a high mountain. I've been to this spot where they say it happened. And the men watched Jesus' appearance changed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothing became dazzling white. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus and began talking with him. That's the foundation that we stand on, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we do around here. I believe that Aaron Toppin was, because he was a fisherman, I believe he's hanging around with Jonah right now, swapping fish stories. I really believe that. I really believe that Aaron and Moses are together, and I'm gonna be with them together. Because I do believe that after this life, That's the real promised land. How did Moses do it? Two-thirds of his life he spent in the desert. He had the Red Sea. He had all kinds of things going up against him. But at every point, and this is a scripture from last week, at every point it says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking ahead to his reward that's when God can use you. When you become humble and know that it's about him and whatever he does, and when you're looking forward to that day when your reward plays out in the eternal promised land, then you know you're there. January 2000, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, invited their favorite son, Billy Graham, to a luncheon to honor him. Um, and he was you know he 's got parkinson 's he said you know i i, I can 't speak i can 't do anything They said no, no no, we just want to we just want to recognize you i mean this is a long time ago, and people thought he was at the end of his life way back then but but he said i i just i 'll come but you know i can't i can 't do much they said that 's fine and so people got up and talked about dr graham and and the amazing things that he 'd done and and then um, Dr. Graham stepped to the podium and and said I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist, who this month was honored by Time magazine as the man of the century. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle, punching the tickets of every passenger. When, Einstein, when he got to Einstein, Einstein reached in his vest pocket and he couldn't find his ticket. He reached in his trouser pockets. It wasn't there, so he looked in his briefcase. He couldn't find it. He looked in the seat behind him, beside him. Still couldn't find it. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about it. I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. Conductor went on down the road, punching tickets, and he was ready to move to the next car when he turned around and looked and saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees looking under his seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back, Dr. Graham was reading, and said, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about it. I know who you are. It's no problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) Having said that, Billy Graham continued, ladies and gentlemen, do you see the suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. I I bought it for this lunch and, and one more occasion. You know what that occasion is? It'll be the suit in which I'm buried. But when you hear that I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit that I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I also know where I'm going. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the example of Moses who was so focused on his eternal reward. He was so focused on the things that were yet to come. That the fact that he didn't get to go to the promised land... It really wasn't an issue for him because he knew he was going to the real promised land. And the, the fact that he spent two-thirds of his life in the desert show us that he was willing to follow you no matter what. And he was such a great, humble leader, most humble leader on the face of the earth. Lord, we thank you for his example. And I pray that you'll help me to be like him and help us to be like him. Thank you for his life. But Lord, He didn't get to go to heaven. He didn't get to go to the real promised land because of His goodness. He went to the real promised land because You made it possible. And for us, that meant that You gave us Jesus. And I, I just would so have loved to have been a fly on a rock during that transfiguration moment when Moses and Elijah and Jesus were all talking. And Jesus hadn't yet gone to the cross and I'm sure they were talking about what was getting ready to happen and, and, and trying to strengthen Jesus to, to help him to understand that the reason he came was to take us all to the promised land. Lord, I thank you for that. If there are people in this room who don't have any promise of going to the real promised land, will you help them to know that it's just as simple as opening up their heart to Jesus. Just as simple as saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. For all of us as we take communion right now, we're grateful for the fact it's all about you. But at the same time, we really want to be people that you can work in, out of, and beyond. So help us as we evaluate that in our life right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.